Uh, we try to play out of the back. We tried to press them. It wasn't perfect, but we tried and we saw some good success. We broke out some of the pressure we played out and we were able to create attacks. All right, welcome uh, to all you FC Dallas curious fans, as our good friend Peter Rolfton would say. Uh, my name is Buzz Carrick. I'm your host tonight. Peter is not here again. He's out potentially buying a car or not buying a car, as the case may be. With me, as uh, usual, is Dan Crook. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? I, uh, I've got to say, I am calling in from Sevilla. I turned up for the wrong game entirely. Yeah, you're at the, you're all the way across the pond. But the yeah. stream worked in Sevilla and Dallas only, so I was in luck. Yeah, the two places you can watch the game. I am calling him from Lake Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, as I am still on vacation, but I will be back in town in Dallas on Thursday, just in time to do next week's podcast, and then hopefully we'll get back to the regular scheduled practice reports and whatnot that we comes with the uh, third degrees coverage. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Someone's got to go to practice. Yeah, it's amazing. No one really goes. Okay, so let's talk about FC Dallas. Uh, after the one uh, nothing loss to Minnesota, uh, they now sit, Dallas does, sit seventh in the West on 29 points and 1.38 points per game. They're seventh in both versions of the standings, whichever one you prefer to look at. Obviously, right now, the points per game one is more important. Dallas is a, essentially a 500 team. They are 8-8-5. Eight, eight Bill Parcells would say, your record is what it says it is. And uh, so we're looking at a 500 team. But uh, let's be honest, Dan, this is basically where we thought they would be, is it not? I thought they would be a little bit higher than this. I think I said 6th instead of 7th. And maybe it would get better over the course of the season and with the summer window. But uh, this is what we expected, is it not? Yeah, uh, I kind of figured anywhere between 5th and 7th. I think Minnesota is going to level off. San Jose, people are going to figure them out. Uh, Portland are obviously going to keep getting better. Um, I mean, you know, if of a 12-team league, if you can't be in top seven, you're kind of not trying, right? Um, we've got the next few weeks, we've got well, Sporting Kansas City, Rail Salt Lakes, that's ninth and, and sixth. You've got Houston in a, uh, a month's time. So, I mean, there's a lot of games around that seventh spot that, that FC yeah. Dallas really need to get some results from. Sporting twice, in fact, a uh, second time again towards the end of the season. There are 13 games left, six home games and seven away games, which is not the split you would want. But, you know, as you mentioned, Portland and Sporting are behind FC Dallas and Houston. So you got to beat those teams when you get a chance. And uh, right ahead of you is San Jose and Real Salt Lake and Minnesota. So, honestly, everybody but LAFC, and that includes Seattle and LA Galaxy, two through, let's say, ninth, Sporting Kansas City, you know, those teams are all pretty even. So it's only going to be little differences down the stretch that make a difference. And maybe that's where Dallas and their young rookie coach, who we admire and like, but yet as a young rookie coach, may struggle a little bit. So, for example, let's talk about this Minnesota game. Dallas goes on the road. They play 100% Lucci ball. They outshoot Minnesota 16-12. to 12. They have 56% possession. 463 passes. That's a little lower than they do at home, but that's still pretty much dead on Lucci ball. But as I tweeted in the game, not particularly threatening in terms of their opportunities in the final third, 70% of their shots for FC Dallas came from outside the box. And that's not good. You want at least 50% to be in the box and that's not happening. And honestly, they just don't have any ideas. And some of the national media have caught on to this and written about it. 
Their ideas are not coming in the final third, but we know that's something they've been working on. We know it's something Lucci has been working on and the training, and we, we hopefully will get it get get better. But, but let's be honest, Dan. Right now, this team isn't particularly dangerous with the ball. They have the ball, but they're not dangerous. No, it's uh, it seems to kind of be the same as same story as last year. That that zone fourteen was just a, an enormous gap. Um, it is again, uh, really. There is a pretty large gap in the center circle as well. It's just they're not spreading the ball about, and it's it's kind of weird. You want to see Brian? I mean, that's what Brian Acosta was brought in to do. Yeah, and that's an area we'd like to see Paxton be a little more impactful. I mean, we know Paxton's the unicorn at this point for this team. He has with them. They he has they have a seven four and two record, and without him, they have a one four and three. That's a significant change. They're about a goal better per game, but. It's not just down to those guys. Mascara's coming back and starting to look a little better. Um, Michael Barrios, of course, is Michael Barrios. He is what he's going to be. Um, up front, they went with Baji this last time versus Ferreira. We're going to come back to that topic a little later. Uh, but overall, there were some positives in the game despite the lack of opportunity. One player I'd particularly like to talk about is Brandon Cervenia, who has really progressed since coming back from the U-20 World Cup. I thought we would see a split time with him with Evan Cerillo of perhaps Edwin taking those road minutes and Brandon having the home minutes. But so far it's been Brandon Cervania all the way and he really has looked good. He, he absolutely has. And looking at his, uh, I'm looking at the passing chart right now. And I mean, there's just 18s everywhere. It, it's just absurd. Uh, even, I mean, we'll get to it later on, but in the friendly, um, Cervania's performance definitely outshone Cerillo's. Um, you know, we thought that, we thought Sarrio had a stranglehold on on that deeper eight six, particularly someone who could play a lone six, and it, it's kind of looking like Savania could be that guy instead. Yeah, the difference would be that Sarrio um, is a defensive first player who needed to learn offense and possession and spreading the ball around, where Brandon was already an eight and had to learn sort of defensive consistency. And now, as as and again, some national media finally spotted this. Brandon showed up with some of his long splitting passing that he likes to do. Uh, and he's finally producing that. We've been seeing it for years. Those of us who watched reserve games or academy games, we're now starting to see it at the MLS level as that kid gains confidence. And it's really exciting. Makes you wonder, like, man, this this really could be a really terrific midfield in a couple of years. Definitely. Uh, let me just pull up his – I must apologize. My computer has been a little bit slow. But, yeah, I mean, his uh, – he only really attempt. I mean – for Minnesota, and he attempted a couple of uh, for long passes, and you know, I mean, one of those did turn into a key pass. But his uh, his way of spreading the ball around is just uh, is something that really only few people in this team can do. You've got him, Thomas Roberts, um, Alpha Sani Jata. Really, uh, not not a whole lot that that can kind of do the things that that Savania does. And that, the ability to play, be multifaceted is something that in the modern game is really becoming important. As guys cover a lot of ground, as roles become intermingled, you see guys playing positions that are really two positions. You have to be able to cover multiple assignments in the course of a game, and Cervania's got that ability. And right now, uh, Lucci is choosing to ride that that ability. Uh, I don't know necessarily that it's winning games. <laughs> they are... Uh, had two losses out of the last three, which you don't love to see, but uh, you know it, it still is exciting. If you t- if you want to talk about the future where this club's headed, and another young player that can be really a, a, a positive force when when you when you're going to be losing some guys going forward, maybe that's a guy the team can build around. 
I know we can't really style point losses, but you know this is a Minnesota team that of the last seven odd games, they've scored an average four goals a game, and and FC Dallas held them to what, an injury time bundled yep. home so-so goal, and you know. If that didn't get bundled in, and if Ziegler makes the penalty, that's three points for FC Dallas, breaking a seven or nine game unbeaten streak in all competitions, and you know an incredible run up, an incredible run by a, by a team who, well, I mean, I don't know if you heard, but um, oh, what's the coach's name? Inchi, um, Adrian Heath. He uh, he went on a rant about Bobby Warshaw, underrated yeah. in Minnesota, and everyone else in power rankings and everything else. You know, and that's because Minnesota, mate. You know, they haven't looked as good as their results tell. And FC Dallas yeah. kind of exposed that. FC Dallas did look the better side. Yeah, D- Dallas put in a quality performance on the road, just didn't get the result. But as we've talked about many times, when you're going with an academy first team, you're literally playing three, four, five teenagers, depending on the game. You got a coach who's younger than me, is in his mid-30s. So, you know, you're going to sometimes outperform your ability and you're going to not get a result from here and there. And that's part of learning how to be a pro is getting results and converting results. Even when you may you may have outplayed the team, you got to hold on to those results and make it happen is important. Absolutely. I mean, I would say, you know, compared to the last time FC Dallas played in Minnesota, it was night and day. That that four yeah. one defeat up there, that was that was terrible. All right, that's enough about the Minnesota game. Let's move on to the Sevilla game, which was a midweek exhibition which included three halves, as we like to say. Uh, the first half of the game of the, of the three was the essentially the FC Dallas starting lineup. No Matt Hedges, uh, uh, presumably maybe there's some sort of small knock, or if they just want to rest him, that's fine with me. That guy's played a ton of minutes. Uh, and also uh, Ryan Hollingshead, who I did hear has a knock. And then and then uh, Brisson came in for Hedges. That's no big deal. That's a that's a rotation we'd like to see. Interestingly, Brian Reynolds played left back, which we have not seen a lot of. But once again. Uh, young Mr. Reynolds, uh, only 18 years old, showing his versatility, now showing his ability to play both outside back positions as well as wing, which we've seen him sub in of late. Uh, and then uh, otherwise it was pretty much a, a, a standard starting lineup uh, as they go. Um, so Dan Phillison on the first half of this game, the big the big news of, of that perhaps first period is Paxton Paul coming out of the game really early, perhaps holding his hamstring across your fingers, hoping that's not a real hamstring injury. Yeah, it was a little concerning. Uh, he About seven minutes in, he makes a run from midfield, turns a couple of players, takes a shot, really overhits it, and then the camera pans to him, and he just turns around, and he crouches, holds his hamstring, tries testing out a little bit. Uh, you know, they waited 27 more minutes, uh, 28 more mm. minutes before pulling him off and, and putting uh, Jesus in. Uh, I Unfortunately, uh, with the nature of it being like three halves, I figured, you know, screw it, I'll stay up in the press box and, and cover the North Texas half rather than go to the press conference. Uh, and it appeared that FC Dallas uh, or any of the media that, that other than myself that went uh, nobody felt the need to ask about that. Good grief. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of have to, uh, to see. Yeah, we'll goes. have to see. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's bad when, you're, when your talisman, your, uh, your unicorn, pulls up with a hammy. Hopefully the fact that he can continue to play means he's okay. Uh, you know, hopefully they'll get some rehab on him. And if they have to hold him out for a game, such as life, 
they'll try and replace him uh, against Sporting. But in the meantime, how, how did Mr. Reynolds look at left back since that's a unique position for him? Um, I was really pleasantly surprised. We we did see it against Cholos. Um I mean, you know, for anyone that's played at any level, if you go from left to right or right to left, everything changes. Your habits of how you close down a player and which side of the, uh, you know, which foot you leave open to them or when you're going forward, which side you cut in on and cut out on and, and try and favor, it all changes. And, and for someone who's played, you know, He's played right wing. He's yeah. He is a right winger. He's a natural yeah. right winger. He played striker to get minutes. He came back to right wing. Then he went back to right back to come back and in and start going over to the left. His tendencies just switched over like he's played there all his life. Um, I would sort of contrast it to Ima Tumasi. Tumasi is going through kind of the same stuff that Reynolds went through eighteen months ago. Of you know not necessarily knowing when to commit, when not to commit, which side of the ball to go to. Um, you know, Reynolds looks like he's he's played there for played at left back for, for years and this is his second game. Yeah. You know, I think one thing that speaks in his favor that way is he is an instinctual player. You know, he is a guy that doesn't overthink things and that probably lends uh, itself to his converting different positions mm-hmm. but speaking of Tuomasi let's talk about the second group because there was lots to talk about in that group uh, sp- speaking of Tuomasi for me this can look him at the right back is very interesting because they already have Brian Reynolds at right back we already have Kevin Benia in the academy who's a fantastic future prospect at right back why are they looking at Tuomasi at right back it makes me wonder if as we talked about on the pad last week there really is something to this Reggie Cannon stuff, because you, if you if you're going to sell Cannon in this window, Brian Reynolds becomes your starter probably, but you're going to need another guy there, and Kevin Benia is probably not ready, so Tuomasi might be that guy. Yeah, and I, I think it, it kind of balances the team out. You know, we've had this whole issue of uh, since Castillo left, the the wings haven't quite been in tune when. Uh, uh, Lamar was here. Yeah, you know he was to- so out of balance with uh, with Barrios because he wasn't that same kind of vertical player. He was the cut inside body a player off the ball, take a shot. You know, it wasn't like an interchangeable play. It wasn't uh, something that really could could provide that double threat. Um, in terms of the wing backs, you know, looking at the second half yesterday, Reynolds starting on the left, Tomasi on the right. You both had it was both wingers. It was wingers that could get upfield and still had the kind of defensive capability to get back, get right side of the ball, really defend, really put pressure on a on a on a good team, a team that spent 150 million over this summer. Yeah, um, the Tumasi deal is just a case of like Luchi put it. We put him there in training. and He looked good. I don't know if it's a case of having an attack-minded wing back as opposed to like a traditional fullback, which you'd get with. Well, actually, Brassan even gets forward a little more than you'd you'd expect. Indeed. Um, but yeah, he he looks good there. He looks like he could really grow into that position. Obviously, FC Dallas have a ton of wingers, and yeah. there's something about having him and uh, Francis Atuahene on the same side, overlapping, underlapping, really playing nicely. That that could just feature, you know, really promisingly yeah. for FC Dallas. You know at least for the length of their generation Adidas deals. Yeah, however long those deals continue after this season, that's an interesting question. Well, so the front four, as you mentioned, it to a Hene in the second group. The front four of that group was really interesting. Return of Christian Coleman is obviously big. 
uh, in terms of his at least physical healthness. Um, a player that we've always admired his tactical understanding, being where he's supposed to be if the finishing is not what we like it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new player, Gaiasi, on the left looked interesting and exciting in the clips that I saw. That's got to be pretty uh, enticing for fans to watch that kid some more. And the experiment of what in the world do you do with Jesus Ferreira in a team where Coleman or Pepe is playing as a nine or, or a hypothetical buy as a nine. What do we do with Jesus? And we saw that experiment continue with him as a 10 or a, a deep, a deep free eight type role, more of a Paxson type role, perhaps, but he plays it more as an off 10. Uh, so lots of tough to talk about in that front four. Yeah. Uh, Ferrara definitely played more as a 10 kind of flighting him around the edge of the box for anything that came out to him. Um, it's kind of, it's tough to assess too much because FC Dallas just couldn't get through the midfield. Um, Sevilla were just phenomenal in in playing that kind of high block, really closing down FC Dallas. Um, you saw Atua Hene come back and really get involved. Uh, Giassi, we only really saw him come back once. Uh, he didn't actually run at players, which is what I really wanted to see out of him as a guy who is quick. He's got that ability about him. He kind of he la- he ran onto a pass once, caused havoc, uh, missed Coleman, and then Atua Hene put a header over. It was you know it was a really nice bit of play. Uh, he just he optioned out a lot, which I didn't quite like. Uh, you know when you when you sort of turn your body body over and and pass back into midfield, try and recycle the ball. I, I, um, I don't know if that was instructed to him or not, but he also played this really high line. He was playing on the last defender, but also really hugging the touchline, which when you've got a midfield as good as Sevilla's, he's just not going to see a lot of the ball, and he didn't. Um, Whether that was instructed to him or not, I'm not sure. I'm guessing the optioning out of runs probably was instructed as, you know, really he's going through a preseason of sorts, uh, coming to the European season, going into the American season. Uh, that high Finding line, his way in the team, yeah. Yeah, and that, that high line is probably just, you know, his own interpretation. He's definitely picking up some things. He was uh, off the ball, even without the ball being on the right on the left side of the field. He was pointing out to Reynolds to run inside him, you know, bring an extra attacker and uh, an extra attacking midfielder in, kind of try and give the Sevilla players something to worry about. Uh, he's definitely got some tactical know-how about him uh, in spreading the defense about. I just really want to see that physical side of his game, see the side that really brought him to Dallas. Um, yeah, ten- oh, I'm sorry. That's what I was going to say. It's interesting you mentioned the Gassi Reynolds stuff because I actually had somebody, uh, you know, just an observer sort of text me and said they really liked the chemistry that sort of was happening on that left side with those two guys. It was exactly like uh, Atua Hene Tomasi. It was, it was the mirror image. They, they seemed to just click from the first minute. Well, that's really exciting when you see a new guy uh, sort of trying to fit into the team and, and, and helping out a young guy right away like that. That's got to show well for him in terms of his integration into the team. Definitely. Uh, I mean, and the last thing I really wanted to mention was uh, Coleman in that, in that front, uh, front four. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't see a whole lot of the ball. You know, didn't really penetrate. Uh, right. But, you know, I saw him at full sprint, which is really nice. I know any player that comes back from a long-term injury like that, AC Altair, you know, it takes a long time to beat themselves. It takes a year. It does. Uh, and to see him going full sprint, beating players, beating the expensive players to the ball, that was encouraging. That was a guy that, you know, he may not be there as 
striker confident. You know, striker is a confidence position, but he's there. He knows his body. He knows his physicality. He can get to that ball and and kind of be the guy that we've seen at least. The guy that is the perfect striker aside from his finishing, maybe. The guy that, you know, he's he's the ideal second striker to a Jesus or could probably even make uh, make the garden snake look good in terms of like what he can provide, not... Yeah. Yeah. Well, every player that you would talk to, every coach you would talk to, would would talk about Coleman's positivity and his work rate and what a great dude he is to have around. So I, it's okay. good to see him doing well. Again, the question with him always is going to be finishing. You know, is he is he worth what Dallas is paying for him and it has yeah. paid for him? I mean, that's the question. I mean, as a striker, that's what you pay for, right? I mean, yeah. you, you can have the best setup guy in the game, but, you know, if there's no goals in his – if he's got no numbers yeah. in his goal column, that's his value. That's the thing about – talking about strikers is it's the one position that has such a definitively measurable output that is all that really matters and that's scoring goals and, and that's that's why Roland Lamar played when he was here despite the fact he was terrible at everything else he scored goals and so he played a lot all right let's talk about the third unit of the Sevilla game which was interesting in its own way because saw the return of Ricardo Pepe love to see that but it also saw Pablo Arangis playing on the left and the garden snake on the right uh, that's and Thomas Roberts is is his new sort of linking eight hybrid position he's playing. That's uh, I mean, for those guys, for Andresic and for Arangis to be with that team has got to be a kick in the gut for those guys. Yeah, I will say um, Arangis responded in the most professional way possible uh, for a guy that's been labeled as being petulant childish whatever you want to call it um you know and that's just outside of the shellless friendly being told hey you're on your last one in 10 minutes in then getting sent off um mm-hmm. you know he, he he did exactly what he needed to do he was he was okay going forward in possession still shaky really good defensively um he took his goal well he wasn't complaining he wasn't throwing himself about diving he you know he just got on with the game uh, Andrasek really happy to see his defensive contributions is a nice aspect that that he's kind of added to his game. Um, you know, any professional player that isn't quick will will always say that you know they got where they are by knowing where to put themselves, not you know how to throw themselves about. So it was good to kind of see him be able to get back to the defensive third, make a tackle, and still be available. And his, uh, he had these little crossover runs with Pepe. Uh, because, sorry, let me, look, for context, um, FC Dallas played the front three, Arangis on the left, Pepe in the middle, Andrasic on the right. A little yeah. bit weird because you'd expect Pepe to be on the right, but Pepe is probably also your strongest forward. Yes. Um, so they, they had a couple of crossover runs just feeling out the severe defense, you know, whether they wanted uh, the stronger Andrasic or the quicker Pepe. Uh, not you know not that Pepe can't throw his body around and stand up to a player that's that's definitely been something we've been impressed with um but you know Andras showed some some good qualities i it's it's tough because I'd love to see him get more minutes and develop that side of his game um you don't take those minutes from Pepe or Tanner Tessman or Johan Gomez in in USL no. League 1 but at the same time his end product doesn't say anything to any USL championship team. So it's kind of like, where do you get in those minutes that's least destructive to him and the team? Yeah, well, at his age, I don't think he's going to get them. 
And that's kind of the downside. That's unfortunate yeah. for him, but I mean, that's that's on FC. You know, FC Dallas didn't necessarily scout him well enough to know where to fit no. in and and where the team was going to fit around him. Um, yeah, in the end, it's a failure of scouting that he's here because he is definitely not MLS capable quality. And I know in speaking to uh, Marco Ferrucci, he said, you know, they were put onto him by the league. The league wanted to go for more European guys, specifically more Eastern European. They wanted to grow that market. Uh, but at the same time, just because the league says, hey, commercially, we want to get Poland and Czechoslovakia on board, you need to do some extensive scouting and see what he was. Yes, he did have a, have a phenomenal six months uh, in his return from that hip injury in Poland, but you know, you're talking about a guy who scored you know, a dozen, two dozen goals in a 10-year career. It's kind of not, not what you want. No, it's not. Well, speaking of the rest of this lineup, uh, reinforces the idea that Arturo Rodriguez is the closest to being an MLS helping player now if he needed some sort of an eight or wing or attacking sort of 10 player. There is a downfall in seeing Jata as a center back, as much love Jata as a six. This more underscores the uh, lack of progress or lack of ability of the other center backs on the squad, other than Breck Evans, who, of course, is your captain and leader. And then, of course, 15-year-old Johan, uh, sorry, Jonathan Gomez, the younger brother of Johan Gomez, at left back, the only academy player on this list that played. Maybe there were some subs later. But uh, that underscores, I think, Gomez's position, Jonathan Gomez's position as more than likely, along with Tanner Tessman, as your next homegrown targets, perhaps uh, North Texas targets, but probably even potentially homegrown targets. That kid is close to MLS ready already, and he's just 16 years old. It's truly remarkable uh, yeah. watching him progress over the last year. Yeah, it's kind of funny because with wingbacks, you want to notice them, but at the same time, you don't want to notice them. You know, you want them to be the guys that are closing the player down and not letting them get the ball. You want them to be the guy that's feeding the winger very quickly or the, or the defensive midfielder very quickly. So there were passages where you didn't notice Jonathan Gonzalez. Uh, sorry, not Gonzalez. Gomez. Gomez. Um, and that, that was a good thing. That was a great thing. He didn't give away fouls. He was he was quick in his passing. He was qu- he was good in his defensive movements. Um, he yeah he's he he's got to be the the next. Uh, he, he's yeah. got to get paid by one of the two teams, right? One of the two. One of the two for sure. And if you've watched him at the academy or with North Texas, you know he has ability to get in line to in line the whole game. The kid is phenomenally talented and, and will be one of the, you know, of the six players I've listed as potential, he's one of the four that I thought, yes, sign him now, let's go. Uh, and I think he's a name you'll have to watch over the next year, year and a half for FC Dallas. Definitely. And I think one thing that, that I really liked from the uh, the North Texas SC half is I think we potentially saw the long-term play out of the FC Dallas midfield. You had a, a three-man midfield. You had uh, Biku Basanth playing like the hard six, um, something that, you know, Sorio could grow into, Savania could yep. grow into, Jata could, you know, could probably do Jata, in yeah. a couple of months, honestly. Although, uh, you know, Lucci likes the centre-back. I don't know why that is a hill I'm going to die on. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> and then you had uh, Arturo Rodriguez and Thomas Roberts, two, two tens, playing as the yep. dual eights. And honestly, it was fantastic. It was... It was true give and go ball. It was one stays back, one goes. The other stays back, the other goes. 
Um, both can spread the play around really nice on the long ball. Arturo can make the, the better runs than Roberts. And I would honestly love to see Thomas Roberts playing the exact role he played, Paxton Pomacal playing the Arturo Rodriguez role, and then Jata Cerillo uh, Savania playing Biko Pesant's position. I think that would be something that would be quite normal. It might take a while to adapt to MLS, but... You know, if yeah. you if you're not necessarily looking to win MLS Cup this year and just hoping for the playoffs, you can kind of sacrifice the games if you need to. Well, this, if you remember the start of the year, that's basically the way Lucci started with a single pivot, with mm-hmm. uh, Carlos Grezzo as the single and Brian Acosta and and uh, Pablo, and Pablo, not Pablo, excuse me, Paxton Pomacol. I can articulate that correctly as the two eights. So you know that is what he wanted to do in the beginning, and only adapted when call-ups and injuries happened. I, I think this was actually a little more this where it was like kind of like a you know a deep eight and a and a free eight. This was more like two dead flat eights there was the line was actually pretty flat i mean biku sat a little bit further back but this was as close to a 4-3-3 as i think any fc dallas team is going to see in a long time yeah well that's certainly a formation that luchi gonzalez likes to play so it'll be interesting to watch all right speaking of pax and pomacol this week of course he was linked to ac milan uh and and a couple other clubs but ac milan was the big name in there uh, as a potential signing. And we've talked about him a little bit, Dan, you and I last week in terms of his potential sale. And we both agreed, I think that we would not like to see him sold soon. And it will be very difficult for Dallas to sell him. Unlike right back, which we would discuss with Reggie Cannon, where there's a pipeline of players coming. Paxton's a unicorn and there's nobody really ready to play like he can play. Thomas isn't there yet. Arturo Rodriguez, who we like what he's done, certainly isn't going to step into MLS and do what he's been doing. Perhaps the closest player to Paxton is uh, uh, David Rodriguez, and he's three years away. He's where Paxton was when Paxton signed three years ago. So, you know, you're looking at a player who is indispensable at this time. As I mentioned, the club is six wins better with, with Paxton than without him and a half a goal a game better. You know, what well, first of all, what do you think that price is that would make Dallas bite? Is it ten million? Is it fifteen? It's got to be high, right? Because he's irreplaceable at this time. Uh, it depends what you're talking about an MLS price uh, or an FC Dallas price. Because I mean, MLS hmm. obviously have to have the say, but you know, um, I think I, I, I sort of made a comment. Uh, post in the story, the match recap about, you know, the t- unsurprisingly the team that spent 150 million over the summer beat the team who's would probably, you know, start hyperventilating if they find ten dollars down the back of the couch. Um, you know, we kind of have to do have to separate FC Dallas from the Seattle's, Atlanta's of the world. You know, in terms of selling as much as we do as buying. Um, you know, we've we've the record transfers still, you know, Breck Shea and, and Fabian Castillo's kind of four ish million. Not a great deal really. Uh, you know, when Grezzo. The, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot Grezzo. But uh, thinking about um, you know, the Castillo style, you know, all the talk was, Oh yeah, gonna get ten million, yeah, yeah. Oh no! Wait, he's forced to move, and now we have to accept a million on a loan, and then three million for the full transfer. Yeah. Um, 
But with Paxson, I mean, Paxson's not that player. Paxson's not going to do a runner to Turkey. But at the same time, what it, we don't know what Hunt Sports Group's limit is. We don't know where they're going to go to. Yeah. Um, I personally would say, and you know, a, a 20, is it 20, 21 now? Uh, 20. Yeah, 20 year old. Um, that potential. The US is always going to be cheaper. American players are still cheaper. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd want eight figures, however it comes. Um, but I, I could see it being certainly oh, the high sevens. Only 19. He's only 19. God, I feel yeah. like Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I keep thinking he's 20, 21 as well based on the way he plays, I and I always have to remind Reggie. myself. You always think yeah, of Reggie and, and Paxton as the same age, but yeah. yeah. No, Reggie's 20. God, I feel old. Oh, Reggie's actually 21. His birthday was last month. I forgot. My bad. Happy birthday, Reggie. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that... With Paxton, the problem is, and what we don't really know, is, is how much the Hunts really believe this idea that they want to win MLS Cup with these homegrown players. Because if you're going to do that, you have to keep the guys that are the, the special like this. You have to hold on to a guy like this. You're not going to win MLS Cup building around Evan Cerillo. I love Evan Cerillo, but he's not a difference maker. He's a, a great player, but right now Paxton is your only guy that can keep up with the best players in the league and be a difference maker that's going to win you playoff games. So if you're serious about trying to win something, you got to hold on to him for two or three, four more years. But there is probably a price, right? And that's yeah. the question that's going to be, where, where where is that price fall? What's that number that makes the hunts blink and give in? Uh, and Paxson will be part of that discussion. Paxson will be, does he want to go? The the problem with the Ice Lawn article I read was that, is that the reason they're interested in him is because they lack midfield depth. Well, if you're going to go over there and not play, don't go. Playing is everything. You have to be playing, particularly for a kid like Paxton, who at 19 is just now breaking out of the U20 team and into the U23 team for the national team. We want him to become a national team player. We want him to progress. If he goes over there and sits on the bench, nothing. You got to play. And that's kind of the problem with Italy. Uh, you know, we we talk about it's a good defensive league, it's a good technical league. Um, there's so many players that you can look at, like the Alberto Aquilani's of the world, where people say, "Oh, he's only thirty. He's just coming into first team in Serie A." You know, that's 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 the attitude there, and that's not yeah. how. You want a 19-year-old to be. You want a 19-year-old to be like a, you know, the Serie A Premier League attitude of, oh, he's 19 already. For you know, he's he's nearly in his prime. Especially yeah. in that attacking role, you don't want an attacking <laughs> player to sit on the bench at that age. No, and and for his progress and for our country and for everything we hope, having watched him grow up, is like we don't want to watch him stagnate and and become. Uh, uh, not the player we want him to be. And speaking of Paxton, again, there was another article this week that I related uh, on Twitter about the death of the number 10 position. Um, and it made me think of particularly FC Dallas because it talked about Liverpool and Klopp. It talked about Man City and Pep. Mm -hmm. It talks about, 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 about how the last three years or so, you've seen the number 10 position go away at the highest levels of soccer. Uh, these one-dimensional players where the entire offense flows through, flows through a single player. As Klopp says, 
I'd rather get three turnovers in the final third and pounce and convert, you know? So those kind of positions are going away. They use a player who's more of an eight or even a six in these higher positions to try and get the ball back right away. Um, and Paxson is like that. Paxson is a modern example of that. He doesn't play as a pure 10. He plays as a hybrid sort of position. He knifes into those holes, but he does come way back. Uh, the but remember Bobby Warshaw's triple pivot, as he would claim. We, we've all seen Paxson check back and, and really almost play as a holding mid, you know. And, and even beyond Paxson, we're watching the evolution of Thomas Roberts to become more of an eight than, Thomas Roberts, than a 10. Uh, and perhaps even we could point at uh, Pablo Arangis, who has not, not adapted his game, who is a pure 10 and can't figure out how to get on the field in Lucci's system because he hasn't made that adaptation. Yeah, as, as soon as you said the death of the 10, that was exactly what I thought, uh, which is kind of funny because Arangis... When he's on the wing, he can, as that false winger, he can figure it out. Um, I will say, you know, watching Sevilla yesterday, that is the that is what Lucci wants. The yes, you know, the system they play is just phenomenal, and you know, Eva Benega got back as a, as more of a free eight than a ten. Frank, uh, Francisco Pozo did the exact same deal. Um, you know, even in those two interchanges with the the midfielders behind them, it. You know, tactics evolve. You know, you had that kind of time when the four four two was everything, and then the Germans mm-hmm. had the five three two three five two, whatever you wanted to call it. And you know, this this is the system now. It's that kind of three man flexible midfield that can kind of take play, defend, attack, move the ball around, just spread it perfectly. And that that's something that you know, to his credit, Lucci wants to be close to the forefront for it too. Uh, Yep. Wolf, sorry, I should say. And, uh, you know, even going back to the point you made about selling Paxton, Paxton's the guy to do that. That's, that's one of the reasons you don't want to sell him. Yeah. Yeah. Lucci has directly referenced both Klopp, Liverpool, and Pep as the, 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 the guys that he wants to model on. He's talked about, um, uh, oh gosh. Even in his quotes yesterday, he was, uh, he he was kind of geeking out about playing against this system. Um, Coleman was, everyone was, and um, you know it is it's a it's a learned coach who you know who can see where the game's tactically evolving. The name I was trying to come up with was De Bruyne because it's mm. the idea of taking what used to be a ten and bring him back like Paxton, like we're seeing with Thomas Roberts. This is the kind of thing that Lucci wants to do with these players. And it's, and if you want to go even further, if you want to look at a, a, a Arturo Rodriguez with the Nat, with the North Texas, you want to go all the way back to, uh, to uh, 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 David Rodriguez, who traditionally is a 10, but also is now trying to learn that deeper role and gets played as an eight by uh, Quill with North Texas. You know, this is the direction this club is heading and you're right, Paxson is the prototypical guy for this kind of system. So, you know, you want to see him go. If he does go, you want to see him go to a team that's going to use him in the right way that he is built to play, which is this new modern hybrid position. All right, the next big question, and something we've been dealing with around here because we've now seen Dom Baji start to straight games, if you include Sevilla. Does FC Dallas still need a number nine? I have my opinion, but let's hear from you, Dan. What do you think? Does Dallas still need a nine? Yep. Um, Don Baji is definitely coming on leaps and bounds to be the player that FC Dallas wanted. Um, uh, our good friend Tyler Cohen made a point on, on Twitter that I feel I agree with. 
the FC Dallas is 90% more likely to grub its own functional 15 goal a season nine than it is to buy one in. Um, you know, simply because those cost a lot of money. They do. Um, and, you know, you've got guys like... Okay, Ferreira is developing into... You know, his body shape is more of a 10 than anything. Uh, you've got Tessman who can play... I mean, he's going to play every position bar yeah. at some point. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they should... I mean, he's big enough. They should just throw him in goal one day. Just for, yeah. just for shits and giggles. Um, you've got Johan Gonzalez... Uh, sorry, oh, I keep saying Gonzalez. Gomez. Gomez, fine, um, yeah. You know, even the guys that have gone to college, you've got guys like Brian Padilla, who is just has that instinctive play about him. Uh, you know, FC Dallas have a knack for turning out attacking talent, and one day it is going to turn into the number nine. You're going to go through that whole thing and not mention Pepe. Well, Pepe goes without saying because he's El Tren. <laughs> he is El Tren. Choo choo. Yes, for I mean, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, at this point, I think we all look at the system and we look at Pepe and we think, yeah, that's he could, he it's very well could be the yeah, uh, it's it's far more likely that Pepe is going to become a fifteen plus goal scorer than it is that FC Dallas is going to buy a fifteen plus goal scorer. As you say, they're just far too expensive. I mean, look at the the guy that's going that just went from uh, Germany to um, oh man, I can't for like sixty five million and. Uh, Hedler or, or whatever his name is. This is oh, where Hedler. I'm not. Hedler, yeah. that every West Ham fan's like, really? Yeah. Really? 65, you sure? Yeah. Well, you know, he scores goals. So I mean, look at or Luke, Luke De Jong <laughs> yesterday. Um, you know, yeah. He just moved for 18 million. Yeah, great touch, great instinct about him. But at the same time, you're saying that someone who plays equally well in a different position is going to cost that much? Yeah, that's the thing. Is uh, and Oscar Pereira talked about this with me before he left. It's just the amount of money you have to spend to get a guy like that mm-hmm. can be problematic. I mean, uh, the guy, the example we can think of in the league is um, Portland with their Fernandez. Mexican strikers, Fernandez, who cost, what, $15 million did he cost? Something like that? It's 10 15 yeah. This is, yeah, this is I why mean, we talk about Pomico. He's one of those two, you know, he's that attacking bubble that should cost, yep. you know, you pay through the nose for Oh, and when I wrote my article the other day about how they should pay these four homegrowns that are coming up out on their contracts, one of the first things I wrote was, if you're that attacking, influencing player, you get paid a lot more money than a right back gets paid. That's just how these things work. And if you're going to try and buy a nine, you got to pay through the nose. And that's the reason why they buy people like Coleman. They buy people like uh, the Garden Snake instead. And we all know now, we're just going to have to wait a couple seasons for Pepe to become that guy. And so really... That that becomes the answer. Is like you're not going to buy a player this winter or this summer that's going to get you an MLS Cup this year. The real answer is you're going to have to wait a couple of years for Pepe to mature, and then that could be the guy. And you hope you can hold on to Paxton. You hope you can hold on to a couple of these guys. And in two or three years, you're going to make a run and make a you're going to get a couple year run before those guys are all sold and gone. And then sell him for thirty million. Yeah, yeah. If you could, if you could, if he becomes. A, a prolific scorer like Martinez, that that level of player, and he's only twenty. You know, I mean that's that's worth obscene amounts of money. I mean that's the story of Josie Outdoor, right? You know, we all think he he's old, he sucks, this, that, and the other, but then he comes up with goals when it matters. 
Yeah. And he was at the time, what he go for like 10, 15 million back in the day. And now he's only 29 and still is pretty producing. If we want to get back into the, my complaints about him with the national team is not that he's not the best striker now, because he clearly is. It's, is he still going to be the best striker in three years? And I'm not so sure about that. So one question for you. I did see it come up on Facebook the other day of, would you take uh, Dom Dwyer at FC Dallas? I would. Um, he gets paid a million dollars, which is in this modern uh, contract situations with clubs is not too much. But uh, the reason I would take him goes back to some of the games where I watched him play against Dallas. And I saw a player who put in the defensive work as much as he did the offensive work. He grounded mm-hmm. out and he got in people's faces and he tried to get those high play that high line turnover and for me watching him play i thought to myself boy that guy would really fit with the way lucci's trying to play so that's why i would be willing to take a shot on dom dwyer because a million dollars a year honestly now is not that crazy of money uh, particularly for a guy who has a history of scoring 15 plus goals uh, in a season yeah i mean that that's that's exactly how i feel uh i know at sporting kansas city they had the phrase dom dwyer island because you know, he just didn't get the service. Orlando City's kind of been similar. I feel like yeah. you know, playing ahead of someone like Paxton Pomacol, Thomas Roberts, you'd get that service. And like you mentioned, he puts in the defensive effort. He's a horrible Blas Perez type guy that wins so many free kicks too. He just, he earns his money. Yeah, he's only 28 years old. And even just as much as 2018, he had 13 goals. And you go back a few years to Sporting Kansas City when he went 16 and 22 you know, a guy that needs service, but so does every striker. And and perhaps you could say that Dallas isn't a team that gets great service yet, but we're moving in that direction. And But for me, more importantly, as we mentioned, it's the style that he plays, that doggedness, that battle, that, that work rate up top that you want out of your nine when you're trying to play a high press. That fits with Dallas. So, yeah, I would take him. You know, but I get why he it probably wouldn't happen. I, you know, but for me, like if if that's a guy that was available, I would. If I'm the hunts, I'm definitely making a phone call to find out if I can get that guy. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, let's move on from the number nine. Oh, the, I'm sorry, we have one last discussion point that I wanted to hit on the number nine situation. Oh, that's... oh yeah, one more, and this is the question for the next foreseeable few games. Who do you want, Jesus Ferreira or Dom Baji as your nine? Oh, that's tough. Uh, Baji's looked pretty good lately, but he's also disappeared at times. Um, yeah. Can I go with Christian Coman? You can. Yeah, if you want. <laughs> um, I I think, honestly, I would opt for, for Ferreira. I, I'm with you. I think it's got to be Jesus Ferreira, and I'll tell you why. And it's because I think the team plays a little better with him than they do with Baji, and it's because Ferreira is Ferreira is in the better positions. He puts himself where he needs to be uh, for the shape, for the balls. Baji doesn't quite have the tactical uh, finesse that Jesus has. So uh, the production is about the same point. So I, I go with Jesus and it's the same reason why you might want to go with Coleman because Coleman plays the position properly. The finishing is not there. That's true. All three of these guys right now. So, you know, who we see is going to be an interesting question uh, for me. It would be Jesus. I also like, you know, with Baji on the left, if we get the Santiago Mascara from last night, amazing. Yeah. Baji yeah. can come in for anyone at the end. If you get the Mascara that doesn't play so well, kind of has a little sulk, 
great. Budgie's going to come in. You know what he's going to do. He's going to do a job. He's going to do it professionally. It might not be perfect, but it's it's going to be something. Yeah, and, and going forward, we're going to see the integration of Gaiasi too on that left wing some. Yeah. Maybe maybe even see a chance to give uh, Michael Barrios a game off before they burn him out. Um, you know, you could use Abaji on the right and, and Gaiasi on the left or Ferrer, or uh, sorry, no, Ferrer on the right. He can play on the right wing, and so can Pepe, and so can um, you know, Gaiasi, hypothetically, he's more of, he likes to be on the right and cut it on that left foot. So, uh, they got lots of options up top. It'll be interesting to see who can grab that other position when Santi's on, you know, the last game or two, he's looked like Santi from the spring when he's the MVP kind of candidate. Definitely. Just not the guy that got that bruise on his knee and went to hospital about it. Yeah. He is a little soft from time to time, but, yeah. uh, you know, what can you do? Which is it's tough because, you know, those attacking, mid, those attacking positions, they are so heavily, you know, mental toughness, uh, which is, you know, where we kind of got, got off with uh, thinking back to David Serra, the guy who would score absolute world-class goals in training, then it wouldn't quite happen in the game and he'd go to nothing. And then he goes to Portugal, he gets his confidence going and suddenly he's a world beater again. Isn't it amazing what confidence does for a player? And Brandon Cervania, you know, we've talked Incredible. about it. Yeah. you got When you have the coach's confidence and you're feeling confident, you try things and things happen. You're not playing scared, nuke Lelouch. You know, you're enjoying the game and things are going well. It's amazing. And this is what's good about players like Paxton Pomacol and Thomas Roberts. You know, they could have the worst game ever, and they are at some point in their mind going to think they are Pele. You know, <laughs> they're, they're kind of like immune to that, that, uh, that self doubt that, that brings an attacking player down. Yep. All right, well, let's move ahead to the final uh, topic of the night, and that's the Sporting KC game coming up. Obviously, I think you're going to see pretty close to what the lineup was against uh, Sevilla. That's kind of the idea. The big questions will be the health of Ryan's Hollingshead and the health of Matt Hedges. Are both those players going to be back and be available? Uh, and then does Mosquera keep his place on the left wing? He's played pretty good of late last two games, so that's pretty likely. And then who plays is the, the nine? Is it Baji? Is it Jesus? Is, it, is Coleman back? That's incredible. Uh, so there's a couple of questions going to this game, and we'll have to stay tuned and see what happens. Uh, Essie Dow's certainly not going to tell us all in advance who's going to play, but what do you think, Dan? What do you, what do you see happening in this game? Uh, I, I assume Baji gets the start of the nine. You know, it's something that Lucci has been kind of building up to. Uh, Mascara, like you say, you know, he's he's had a couple of good games on the bounce. You know, you don't you don't want to get him out of the team too soon. Uh, Savania and Acosta look like they've walked down those those uh, dual six eight roles. Paxton's a given. Uh, I, I would love to see Reynolds start. Uh, I think if. Uh, Holland's head fit he gets the start he's kind of reliable go-to guy and you know maybe he's playing a little bit on the attacking side ahead of Reynolds right now uh, Hedges I did hear a whisper that he'd taken a knock but that may have just been some false information and just you know needed a game off for a meaningless sure. friendly uh, obviously you know FC does have three phenomenal starting centre-backs with uh, they do. Ziegler, Hedges, and Brisson. Brisson, you know, I mean, he's uh, Copa Libertadores winner and then finalist the next season. We won't talk about what he did in that final, but, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the other two positions, 
write themselves in Canon and Gonzalez. Um, yeah. Do you kind of foresee any surprises in there or any deviations? I don't in particular. I, Kansas City's won two in a row and, and three of five. So, you know, they're starting to round into form a little bit. Um, they're just you know, weird. I, At home, they've been terrible, which is so yeah. anti-anything SKC. It is. You know, it's always been it the is. toughest place to play. Yeah, I think, you know, Reynolds is interesting. I think Reynolds has moved himself into an 18-man player, like they're writing his name and pen on the bench because of his ability to play right back, left back, either wing. He can play center back. We've seen him do it with the national team. You know, they've stuck him in midfield. So that versatility is worth a ton off the bench, you know, and and, and, the, and even just like his ability to play over the top when sometimes late in the game you might need to spell a Barrios and, and get on a guy who can still play over the top. That's really important. Um, you know, there's different kinds of, with hedges, there's different kinds of knocks, right? There's a knock of, it's an exhibition game, I'm taking the game off, and there's a knock of, it's an MLS game and I can't go. Those are two different kinds of knocks. So uh, I'm sure that probably just like Ryan Hollingshead, it probably isn't a big deal. We'll find out, you know, why those two guys didn't go. Was that was it real or not? Uh, if Ryan can't go um, and Hedges can, then Brasad obviously can play left or Ziegler can play left and Brasad can play in the middle. Uh, you're not going to see Johnny Nelson anytime soon. Uh, I ran into him about two weeks ago, and he said that he was doing better and feeling good. But uh, we've also heard that the, whatever he's dealing with his abdomen is going to be a long-term uh, problem. He did tell me he wasn't going to have surgery, so they must be trying to go through physical rehab. And I'm sure it's something like a sports hernia. You know, a lot of young guys, and this is something Oscar talked to me about a bunch. There's a lot of the kids that come out of the academy when they get into their first full pro season, they have problems with the abdomen. The core is just not good enough. And FC Dallas really tries to work with that and really tries to develop that. Um, but sometimes it's just that wear and tear of that first season. You just cannot hold up when you're an 18 year old kid who's never gone through a whole year as a pro before. Definitely. And I mean, um, you know, for anyone that's spoken to a player on a fan level, media level, whatever you want to, you know, classify as, players always want to say they're better than they are. They always want to be good to go. And, you know, I remember like, you know, my 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 first running with Oscar Perea was, was the phrase good to go. When Mauro Diaz was good to go, then wouldn't play the next week. And then the week after he was good to go, but he wouldn't play. And I sort of said... You know, Oscar, what does good to go really mean? Does it mean he's, you know, he he's he can play or what? And you know, he gave me the uh, the the puppy death stare, you know, which <laughs> apparently after he gives that means like he respects you and has a great relationship with you. <laughs> yeah, that's to true. Death, had a nice catch up with him the other week, but you know, he then after that and said, when I say someone's good to go, it means they they're pain free. They can start training yeah, again. Medically clear. It doesn't yeah. mean they're, you know, it's like, uh, you know, when Coleman came back and the two were hitting, yeah. they could start training again. They were pain free. They could live their life as best they could. But oh, that sounded morbid. Uh, but at yeah. the same time, they couldn't <laughs> run out against an SKC no. for 90 minutes. No. Uh, so, you know, for Nelson, like you say, that, you know, you could be looking around sometime. Yeah, we're probably looking at least next month for him. That'll be well, probably the biggest question probably going forward in this sporting KC game is going to be Paxton Pomichol's hamstring. Can yes. he go? If he can't go, I'm going to guess at this point that Jesus Ferreira goes in that spot, that 10 spot, that hybrid eight spot, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if, if uh, Paxton's hammy is, is troublesome. And, and even if it's just kind of a little bit bad, they might even hold him out. I mean, 
you know, as, as you say, sporting hasn't been great at home. If you need to give your MVP a rest, you might, this might be the game. I hate, I can't believe I'm saying that about sporting, but, um, you know. Well, sporting's also the team that you want to just knock a ball over the top and have Barrios run onto it. I mean, he scored a hat trick doing yep. that. You want to have a guy like Jassy running on, on the other wing. You want to have Baji or, hey, you know, this would be a great game actually to give Jesus the 10 because he can yeah. do he can stretch the legs he can run in behind a Matt Beasler. Um I will say with Pomacal I, I really wish uh, you know I wish that I could have gone down I wish I'd have gone down to uh speak to Lucci instead of maybe sitting up and doing the uh, the North Texas game but you know choices are made we we have to live with those. Um I do think you know there was 28 minutes between when he pulled his ha- when he pulled up and felt his hamstring when he went off. It was probably just some tightness and a precaution. You don't risk him in a friendly, but at the same time, if you really thought it was bad, he comes off in the seventh minute, not the 35th yeah. minute. Well, maybe he just took a little contact there and had a little Charlie Horse type effect, and mm-hmm. hopefully he can play through it and be fine. If not, we both agree in agreement that we think it's going to be for a replacement. I mean, we've also, you know, he, you know, he's he's made a little run. He's took a a long shot and he's felt his left hamstring after he's overhit it. I'm sure everyone who's played any kind of sport at some point has not stretched out fully, and then they've been like, "Ooh, I'm feeling this now. I need to stretch it out some." Yeah. So you know, maybe we're all just reading into something that doesn't exist. Yeah, maybe so. We will see on Saturday. All right, that's about uh, everything we have tonight on your seventh place FC Dallas. They got uh, Sporting Kansas City on the weekend, and we're all going to cross our fingers that Paxson's not really hurt and see what kind of team Lucci runs out uh, against the uh, Wizards. Wow, old reference, good one. Yeah, thank you. I was wondering if that was going to – what, the Wizards? Uh, The Wiz, if you want to go way back to their very first name in 1996. They were the whiz for about six months. All right. Uh, thanks for joining in, everybody. Hold listening in, all you curious FC Dallas fans, to uh, quote my friend Peter Welton. Thanks again, Dan, for your time on the pod tonight. That was a lot of ground we covered. I, th- I feel like we did good service to the double games this week and then the game moving forward. Hopefully everyone out there enjoyed the podcast, and we'll see you next week on Third Degree the Podcast. Thanks.